This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Uh, tonight, Bezat Hashem, we are doing the second part of the story of Yonah. Uh, Bezat Hashem, hopefully we should finish uh, it tonight. So, do a quick recap on what we spoke about last week. So, there was a city called Ninveh. Ninveh was a city that uh, made a lot of sins, had a lot of problems, caused a lot of issues. So, God said to Yonah, He says, listen, I want you as a prophet to go to this city, and I want you to go and warn them that they should repent, they should do tshuva, and when they do tshuva, they'll be saved, and if they don't do tshuva, dot, 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 whatever. God didn't actually go and spill out the whole details. We're soon going to see that the second part of the prophecy is going to come up in this uh, part of the story. But Yonah did not like that idea. Why didn't he like that idea? Not that God forbid that he was, well, you know, like he, he thought that he knew better than God. Well, he, what, was, what his was bothering him was that if the Gentiles repent and the Jews don't repent, that looks really bad. Because the Jews have so many prophets. Now God says one prophet to the non-Jewish nation, and they're like, take him so seriously, and they're going to repent, that's going to look really bad, and it's going to cause a lot of problems for the Jewish people. So Yonah didn't want to do it. In fact, according to Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, if I remember correctly, um, the test that Yonah thought that he had was a test of seeing that he, if he would sacrifice the Jewish, you know, for the Jewish people, which means not listen to God for the Jewish people. He actually thought that he was doing the right thing um, according to that interpretation. So... Yonah decided that what he's going to do, he's going to run away. And uh, what better place to run than the ocean? The ocean, and to get to the far, he actually wanted to run to Tarshish, which is a very far away uh, place uh, from Israel. But to get there, you need to go in the ocean. Ocean is really good because you're being with a lot of non-Jews, a lot of people that worship idols. So God's not going to present himself in the presence of idol worshippers. As well as you're going to have the sea, which is not a calm, you know, like we said before, this is not like a cruise. This is, you know, life you know, and death usually when you go out to, on a long voyage. So he won't be rested. He won't be in a joyous mood. In order to get um, prophecy, you have to be joyful. You have to be happiness. Happiness is so instrumental in all aspects of Judaism, uh, which is a different topic for itself. But in order to get prophecy, you have to be in a state of happiness. You're not going to be able to say that happiness because you're always going to be anxious, always going to be worried. So he thought that would be a perfect place. However, God had other plans. God, you know, when he went into the ocean, the ocean started acting all crazy. It was acting all crazy only around him. Around everybody else, it was like clear and sunshine. It was great sailing season. You know, everything was great. They were fishing. Everything was amazing. Just the ship was having like a tremendous storm. So the sailors tried to figure out what it was. They found out the problem was Yonah. And they ended up throwing him into the ocean. Uh, actually dropped him into the ocean. And the second that they put him in the ocean, they were fine. And what happened with Yonah, and this is where we're up to now, so Yonah went into this like vast like whirlpool, and he kept on getting sucked in and sucked in. He actually, the Zohar says that he actually, uh, his soul left his body. He actually died, uh, the Zohar says in this, and God put his, his, his soul right back into his body, because this is not your time yet. Uh, so he got back his soul to his body, and as, you know, as he got back, he noticed this ginormous fish. I'll tell you the size of this fish, in order to understand it, that, first of all, that, how did the, the fish open its mouth, and Yonah knew that he's supposed to go into the fish. Uh, you know, well, there wasn't like engines, like, you know, you know, like, you know, when you come out of the airport, you see those people waiting in on the signs, you know, looking for Mashiach, you know, like, you know, those signs over there. I always love to see those, you know, read those names, like, you know, like Bushwalt, you know, but you never know how to pronounce that because there's like four U's, three W's, a C, an S, an H, another W, a Y. Uh, forget about Russian names. That's forget about it because you see a bunch of X's and R's that are backwards. So, anyways, he realized that he's supposed to go inside the fish. So he goes, and this is a um, this is a male fish, and there's going to be the first is going to be two fish. Spoiler alert! So he goes into the fish, and this is the size of it. So when he steps into the fish, he was able to stand in the mouth of the fish erect, like standing up without touching it. Like that's how big the fish mouth has to be. So you're talking about a ginormous amount of fish. And I was trying to like look online to see like what are the sizes of fishes that are. Fishes, whales, whatever it is, you know, whatever, you know, that are big in size nowadays. So you have like 50 meters, 60 meters, I don't remember off the top of my head. You have like big things, but like something like this you don't really get to see, you don't really understand. This is a, a, and by the way, it's not like, you know, we know all the species in the ocean. We know like almost nothing of what goes on in the ocean. So to say that there is a huge fish, you know, like the Leviathan, for example, we don't know, we can't imagine the size of that. So, the, um, the idea was, it's, it was a huge fish. He goes over there, the fish opens up, he steps in and he walks in. And he's thinking, he's like, all right, this is payday. I was running away from God. 
because I didn't want to give it. Now this is my this is the retribution. I'm going to be fish food. And as he gets steps in, the fish swallows, right? And he gets like sucked in, and it's like whirlpool in the esophagus of the fish, and he's like swimming, you know, gets down there. And what he's waiting for is, you know, gastric juices. Your your um, your stomach is very acidic in order to break down the food. That would could burn like you know, sitting in a in a in a, another animal's gastric juices is just going to burn. But when he gets into the belly of the fish, he's like, there's no gastric juice. It was actually quite comfortable. It was like, you know, like, you know, this is the VIP area. You know, the Persians are like, I might take you to the VIP. You know, this is what I'm talking about. You know, so they got like the VIP area of the section of the fish. And he's sitting over there. Not only is there no gastric acid, there's no gastric juices, it's comfortable. There was actually a light in there. There was a pearl in there that that em- emits some sort of light that it, that is shown the entire area. And if that wasn't VIP enough, he even had some like food, food on the side. He had like a buffet. Except that this buffet is the most delicious buffet you could ever think about because it was, it was actually the man. The man that fell down in the desert for the Jewish people, that was the man that Yonah had inside the, um, the, the fish. So, I'm about to say a few more miracles that are going to seem very odd. But this is what the Midrashim say, and, it, and it's, it's, you know, so, so bear with me on this fantastic journey we're going to take inside this fish. So, he sits, he's in the, he's in the fish, and um, he's, and by the way, to, for the fact also that you, 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 you know, people will ask, uh, you know, oh, well, how did he breathe? He's not, which, which I would answer. I'm like, that's, that's what you're asking? Like, that's the least of the pro- There's a pearl inside there that's emitting light. There's mono, there's no gastric juices in this fish. He's just sitting there. He got sucked in, into this belly of the fish without even having any, like, you know, there's no crushing. There was no, like, fully whole. I'm like, but, in case that question does come up, the, we know Hanania, Mishon, and Azaliah, they went and, and we see this in Daniel, in the third chapter of Daniel, they were, they got put in a, um, this, this heated oven. Uh, the Kipshana Ash, they were, they were put in this, inside this heated oven, and they were able to survive. And the heated oven was full with fire. If there's fire, you know, that sucks out all the oxygen. So besides the fact that they were saved, they were also able to breathe. Yonah also, even though he was in a place that seemingly you would think there would be no oxygen, he was able to survive without a problem. Sort of think of it like a fetus in the womb of its mother. And not only that, this um, this was uh, you know even more interesting is that I see this in my imagination as like if he was in a submarine because it says that he was also able to see outside. And it says it through the eyes. He was able to see outside of the fish to see where the fish was swimming and everything like that. So to make to make matters even more cool and awesome, uh, he you know all of a sudden he's sitting in the fish and suddenly he hears a voice. And he turns around, and over there, and it turns out the fish is communicating with him. It, it's, it's, it, it, you think about this, this is mind-boggling. So he was able to communicate with the fish. So the fish is telling him, saying, listen, so, um, I have a problem. He says, well, you know, what, what's the problem? He says, you know, it's my turn to be eaten by the Leviathan. It's, uh, the Leviathan gets, is huge fish, and needs constantly, it's a tremendous amount of food to survive. Fish have their, their mission, there's certain times that they just swim into the Leviathan, into that layer, and, you know, he, um, you know, that's the supper, dinner, lunch, whatever they, they have this. So, Yonah said, bring him to me, I want to speak to him. So, I'm telling you, when I think about this, this is, this is like a, a cartoon, like, like, you can't even, this is like so awesome, this, 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 uh, this story. So, he goes to the Leviathan, and, you know, Yonah goes and, and speaks to the Leviathan, he says, listen, he says, um, I am a, you know, I'm going to be the one who's going to bring you, I'm going to tie you up at the time of Mashiach comes, I'm going to feed you to all the righteous people. The Leviathan says, that doesn't impress me, get in my belly, yeah, I don't care, I'm hungry. So, uh, uh, Yonah went and he showed him the sign of his bris. And then, you know, the Leviathan says, well, he says, alright, he says, I don't know, what, I didn't realize we're talking in this area. He's like, swim along, fish, swim along. No need for you over here. So he was, you know, he, they, they let the, the Leviathan let him go. Then the fish, uh, which Yonah was able to see outside, actually gave him like an underground tour on the, you know, he, Yonah went and he saw the uh, the part where the sea split, the 12 tribes and how they crossed the the, 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 um, the ocean. He also saw the the foundation of which the world sits. There's also an entrance of Gehenom in the water, and he was, a, he, you know, he saw that also. There's also something called Evan Shesia, which is the stone from which the, the entire world was formed. He was, saw that, this is right beneath the temple, like, well, really beneath. He saw, he saw that as well. So for three days, he was, you know, this was literally a first class cruise, you know, that he was, he was uh, uh, going through. But throughout the entire time, he never prayed once. He never prayed to God 
for, you know, okay, maybe I did something wrong, maybe I should change, maybe he did not do anything. One of the reasons was, is he believed that his sin, being that, you know, he realized now it's a sin, he believed that it was too great for atonement. It was too serious, and it was prob- it was, uh, um, it was problematic. So, he said, what's the point, um, what's the point of, of doing tshuva if it's so big, the sin? So, he was too ashamed. And at the end of the three days, God saw, you know, this is generally what happens when you don't get a sign, uh, you know, from God, God sends you another sign. And the other sign is not usually as pleasant as the first sign. So he went and the, uh, this fish sort of spat, you know, regurgitated, I don't know, acid reflux this guy right out. And Yona was in the ocean and he was, you know, going, almost losing consciousness and another fish went and ate him up. So he's sitting in this, now this fish, was not the first class, you know, he got like, not the coach, he got, you know, the baggage claim, you know, the thing part of this, of this fish. He had literally the baggage because in this fish, inside the stomach, he saw fertilized eggs, you know, brewing, you know, in the chemistry part of this, uh, of this fish over here. He, the gastric acid was so burning that it actually singed his clothes, as well as his hair on his head. So, he, and it smelled bad and the heat was bad. It was, to say the least, very uncomfortable of what you would expect to be in a fish, uh, in a stomach of a fish. So, now Yonah was starting to think. He says, if Hashem wanted me to be dead, I would have died in the first fish. Why am I in the second fish? Must be that God wants me to do tshuva. And if He wants me to do tshuva, then let me start doing tshuva right now. And he started praying right now for to God. And in this fish, he was also for another three days and three nights. And he prayed inside this fish. And then he said also, he said, listen, he says, God, he says, I realize, he says, I'm a changed man. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to go to Ninveh. I am going to do, you know, as you, as you wished. I'm also going to go bring a thanksgiving offering in Yerushalayim. I would also go and tell of all the miracles that you, that you did for me in this ocean. As well, as when I, when I return as Mashiach ben Yosef, which is the Alshul say that he's going to return back as Mashiach ben Yosef, he's going to vow to slaughter the Leviathan and feed the flesh, the flesh to, um, to all the people that are, all the righteous people that are going to be present in that time. So, after he did Shuba, this um, this fish like sort of spat out you not from inside his stomach, but spat, it spat it out like like a, like a missile, a like projectile vomiting, you know, like straight out. And he he flew for a long, a very far far distance, and he landed on ground. So he like went just straight onto onto the ground. Okay, so now he um, he lands on the ground. He, he's on the ground. And he makes his way to Ninfei. He obviously you know has to make himself look the best because he has like besides the fish juices that he has, it's it's acid fish juice. So you know he had to like you know put himself together, make him a little bit more respectful. And he went to um, to Ninfei. Now as he goes to Ninfei, God you know gives him another prophecy, and he says, listen, he says you have to go to Ninfei and tell them that they have to repent. And if they don't repent, they shall uh, actually the prophecy was like this. If I quote it, Ninfei shall be overturned in forty days. It's good. You have 40 days, basically. So this time, Yonah did not, like, procrastinate, go around. He went straight to Ninveh. And to say, uh, you know, about this, um, tell you a little bit about that. I want to read for you a midrash that, that the Ma'am Laws brings down. I'm, I can't even, I can't even paraphrase it. I am just going to read it on how Ninveh, it shows you the size of this city and how great it was. So listen to this. Ninveh had 12 major marketplaces each comprised of 12 smaller markets. Each of those smaller markets accommodated 12 times 10,000 girls and boys who knew not the difference between good and evil. I'm, I'm quoting word for word from the, from the uh, ma'am laws over here, which brings down this midrash. Every square branched out into 12 streets. Each street had 12 courtyards, and each courtyard comprised of 12 houses. And every dwelling housed 12 mighty men, and each mighty man had 12 sons. Yeah. You could see 12 played a significant number, um, for the, you know, for Ninveh. But, but you, the, the sheer size of the city is what I want to focus on. The, the Pasuk says in, in, in Yonah chapter 3 verse 2, it says, Ninveh ha'yeh which means it was a great city, which means that there was no other city that was so large in size as Ninveh. It was like a metropolis. It was like a tremendous amount. Uh, we also see in chapter 3 verse 3 of Ninveh il dola lo it was a great city for God. The, in order to to uh, travel it from one end of the city to another end of the city is it would take you three days just to travel from one side to the other side. The but if you would have to go through all the suburbs because we saw all those twelve and twelve and twelve you know those suburbs those would take you forty days. Now this had a big problem for Yonah because if he has to give them the prophecy they have forty days it's not fair that he goes to one place 
and they're going to have 40 days. Then he goes to the next one that's going to have 39 days. So he has to figure out a way. So he decides he's going to go to the center of town and just blast that out there and, you know, see, we'll see what happens. So as he's walking into the center of town, he hears the people of Nineveh, they were talking. What are they talking about? What's hot off the press? About the sailors, you know, spread it out. What happened about this ship? They were like, this is... Because other boats also saw around it. There was a crazy... There was a storm just on one ship, everyone's saying. And not only that, there was like... They tried everything and nothing was able to calm this, this storm down. Until one man, one Jew, one prophet jumped overboard or was landed into the water. And then the, the ship was stabilized. And not only that, this huge fish came. And this guy just walked right into the fish and just swam into the bottom. Everyone's talking. This is like the miracle of the day. So, um, you know, I was like smiling. You know, he hears himself, you know, going in the background. So... And the people on Nineveh says, you know, the, the, and everyone's saying, ah, stories, and other ones, you know, the, you know how they say it. And I'm like, oh, you don't make up stories like this. They say, but they say the, the, the story goes is that he's on the way to Nineveh to warn us, because he told the sailors that's what he needs to do. So, while he's saying that, he gets into, he gets into the center of town, and he starts announcing, people of Nineveh, you have to li- listen to me. And it was a miracle that his voice projected throughout the entire, the entire city. And he brings his prophecy, and he says, I am a Jewish prophet. I'm sent in here by God. He says, uh, you know, that, you know, you guys are, you know, doing way too many sins. You're way over your head. He didn't use those words. Those are mine. Uh, you know, you guys are, there's, there's, th- there's thievery going around. He's worshiping idols, immorality. God has given you 40 days to repent or the city's going to be overturned. So the people, you know, were, were very, very frightened. And there's something very interesting about it. The, when, when, just as a side note, we always have to know, and this is based off uh, Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 7 and verse 8, when there is a bad prophecy that's given, that doesn't mean that it's automatically gonna happen. Which means this, is that if you go and do repentance, that bad, bad prophecy does not have to happen. A good prophecy does have to, ha- have to happen, but a bad prophecy doesn't necessarily have to happen. So he gave a prophecy that the entire, nin- the entire Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days, which means is, if they do tshuva, it won't be, it won't be destroyed. What, what's interesting, if you look at the Pasuk, and especially if you look at the Pasuk in chapter uh, 3 verse 5, it says, Vayaminu anche Nineveh belokim. The people of Nineveh, they believed in God, which means is, they didn't, they didn't start testing Yonah and be like, well, how do we know you're from God and not just one of those crazy people that says that they spoke to a God? Like, they didn't question it. They didn't be like, show us miracles to prove that you're a, man, a God from, you know, like, like a godly sent man. Like, they didn't ask for any of that. They believed directly into God. And, uh, even furthermore, it doesn't even say that the king went to speak to him. The king heard about it. He's like, I guess they also realized, like, yeah, this city's pretty bad. Uh, this makes sense. You know, like, they didn't even need to go and test him. They just believed it. Like, right then and there. The, um, we'll soon see why also this, uh, this belief came into, in, into effect. So, the people were very nervous and they started to, to, uh, do chuba. Now, they did not do chuba because they regretted of their sins that they did, but rather their purpose of chuba was because they feared the repercuss- repercussions that was going to happen, which was no more Nineveh, no more them. So, the king took this very seriously. He went and he decided that if he's going to be the one who's going to show the repentance to all, everyone's going to follow suit. So he got off his, his throne, he put on ashes, he went and, he, you know, he, he really went and he did uh, repentance. And then he instituted some programs. That's okay. Now it's like everybody has to repent. Everybody has to do prayer. You know, you got to speak to speak to God. The But one of his advisors says, listen, what's good? Prayer and repentance. If you know the people are still you know stealing, and that he says we don't even know if the people actually own the clothes on their back. That's how rampant this this uh, stealing was. So the king decided he's going to make a he's going to make a um, a proclamation, and there's going to be some some new decrees. Number one is you have to do tshuva tefillah utzaka, which is well he didn't use those words, but he said tshuva you have to repent, you have to go and you have to um, go and and. Uh, and pray, and as well, you have to do uh, deeds of kindness. Do kindness for your friend. Become a better person. And the second part is that everything that was stolen has to be returned to its rightful owners. So, and to make it very serious, is if you don't follow this, the punishment is death by fire. So, it's not like, okay, you'll get fined by the government in six years when the IRS figure you out. It'll be like death by fire. So, the, you know, if you think about the scenes that were taking place over there, so, you know, like, you know, you have one neighbor go, you know, to the other neighbor and be like, remember you told me, like, you know, your wife lost her engagement ring, you know, the one that you spend an arm and a leg for, and you were looking all over it, and he's like, yeah? He's like, well, funny thing, um, I was looking, I was just walking down the street, um, and I just happened to see something shiny, and look, is this yours? 
And he says, yeah, where did you find that? I was looking at it. He's like, oh, the street over there. He says, I searched that street back and forth. He's like, I don't know. I guess, you know, the, the gods are smart. Whatever, you know, like, it, you know, it's a good day for you. And his neighbor says, you know what's so funny? He says, it must be a really good day for everybody. He says, because I, remember that thing that you lost, like that, you know, not too long ago? And he's like, yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, I guess the dog or something. What, you know, I just found it in my backyard. In my tool shed, very nicely placed with that. And he says, uh, he says, uh, and, and they're each returning their, their lost items. To make it, um, you know, and, and not only that, people were actually, they took it so seriously that they moved out of their houses because they stole, let's say, a beam. Now, technically, if you steal a beam, you could buy, you know, you just pay the value of it. But they were so, they, they took apart the house to return those beams that they, that they stole. So, the, um, you know, and this is obviously not everybody did it to that extent, but overall, this is what was going on in Inveh. The, um, and even there was like court cases that came up in front of, in front of the judge where two people came in and one of them said, listen, I bought this property from my friend over here. So he says, you know, what's the problem? He says, well, I, you know, after I bought it, I was, you know, plowing the field and I found, you know, some, some money in there uh, hidden in the field. So he says, so what's the problem? So he says, I didn't buy the money. It doesn't belong to me. And the guy who sold it says, listen, I didn't, I didn't know about the money. I, you know, it wasn't mine either. So these are the type of cases. The judge said, listen, find the previous owner and give it to, to him, uh, you know, the money. But you could see the, the, um, this, I don't want to say sincerity, but more the severity that they saw this and how much they went to do, uh, chubab. So the, they also went and they also prayed. But which was actually very interesting, which I found, which was even though they pray, they do chuvat, they still, you know, whisper to their idols. Um, and I found this very, very odd when I was like learning this, uh, you know, like, you know that there's one God. Well, maybe they didn't, but they are assuming maybe this God they thought is more powerful, whatever was going into their mind. But they know that their God is going to come and he's going to destroy the city. So they're doing chuvat, they're praying to God, they're doing, they're doing repentance, they're finding everything back, but yet they're still talking to the pieces of wood and stone that they have. Uh, you know, and, and I tried to figure it out, but I was like, you know what? And then I started thinking, I'm like, are we different, any different over here? Like, we know what God wants from us. And we know what we're not supposed to do. But yet, we still, like, still do that part, even though we know that we shouldn't be doing these things. So, uh, it's interesting in how, how, you know, I guess, you know, idol worship is like a whole different level. But in, in the same way, we, you know, can we say we're, we're any better? Well, let's hope we are, but, but it's something that we could definitely learn from. So, they, while they were doing repentance, you see the repentance wasn't a complete repentance. Now this is something very important that is specific to, to repentance, that let's say you have a, you, you need to wear a tzitzit, or mezuzah, or whatever, any other mitzvah. If let's say you take your tzitzit and you cut off one hole, one, uh, one string from it, is it a kosher tzitzit? No. You're not supposed to wear it, you're supposed to take it off. So a partial tzitzit is not a good thing. If you take a mezuzah, you just take the top half of it. You put it over there. It doesn't, no, it doesn't mean anything. You know, you take the, the mitzvot have to be uh, complete. You take a, a, you know, a tog, the top part is beautiful. The bottom part, you, it's like, it's like just, you just sort it off, right? But no one's gonna see because you're gonna hold it like a, you know, like a gibia or something. You're gonna hold it like over here. So no one's gonna see. So is that a kosher tog? No, it's not. It's, you know, it's, it's completely pasul. But, so we see over here, partial mitzvot don't really work. But partial repentance does work. If you do repentance, even partially, even feeling bad about it, feeling the shame, whatever it is that you're feeling, even the partial tshuva actually, uh, actually works. And it turns out that this tshuva that they did actually worked, and the decree was canceled. They were not uh, destroyed. This bothered Yonah uh, very much, because the, um, well, the, for obvious reasons, but what's actually interesting is that, you know, Yonah ran away from doing this thing and because of that he went to the ocean and because of that he got all these miracles and because of that, because of that, because of that, all those things that happened. The Bithashim says something very interesting. Had Yonah not run away, had he not, you know, it's very possible that Nineveh wouldn't have done repentance. Why did they do repentance? They heard the stories, the going into the fish. They heard the stories of the, the, the boat that's shaking and they heard all this stuff. That's what took it very seriously and made a change. So it's very ironic how he wanted to run away from God because he didn't want the, the people of the Ninveh to do it too bad because they know it looked bad for the Jews. But here we see that it ha- because he ran away, that's the only reason why they did Chuba. So, however, the Chuba that they did was short-lived. They, the Ninveh was actually, you know, they reverted back to their old ways and we'll soon see, but I do want to finish with that sto- with the story and how they, they came to complete uh, annihilation is uh, 40 years later. They completely, so they it, it sort of pushed it for, for 40 years. But before we get over there, so... Right now we're going back. Yonah went, this, the, the, the city is saved. They go, and Yonah leaves the city. Yonah leaves the city, he wants to see what's gonna happen in the city. So, 
he he goes out and he sits on top of a hill that's overseeing uh, the city. And what bothered him was was two things. He says now bother him because now people are going to think that he's a false prophet because he said that city's going to be overthrown and it's not. And uh, it didn't really it didn't really matter like his name like you know like it's not like you know Trump Tower like if he has a bad name no one's going to want to go over there. It's not like he was selling his name, but he was representing God. And if he said something that God said he's going to do and now he didn't do it, so that's a desecration of God's name. That's one thing. Number two, the fear of the, for what's going to happen to the Jewish people. Here, one prophet goes and warns the non-Jews and the non-Jews do chuba, they do repentance. And what happened to the Jewish people? We had prophets after prophets that warned them and they didn't they didn't do chuba. So it's not going to look good. It's going to bring uh, problems upon the Jews. So, Yonah was very, very much disturbed by this. So much so that he says, please take my life, Yonah said, as a, you know, a kapara, an atonement for the, for the Jewish people so they don't have to suffer for that. And he says, I can't, you know, he, he couldn't bear to, to see the suffering of the Jewish people. And he wanted, you know, to, to finish off with, it, with him and that will be all. So, Hashem goes to him and says, why are you, you know, you know, what's all the fuss about? Like, why are you so upset about Ninveh? So, he says, first of all, everyone knows, he says, we quoted it earlier from uh, you know, Jeremiah, that bad prophecies doesn't necessarily have to come true. So no one's going to believe that you're a false prophet, it's fine, don't worry about that part. He says, but what about, you know, the, the second thing was part of the Jewish people. He says, so, Hashem says, I'll show you a sign. Basically, I'm going I'm to show, I'm going to explain to you my, uh, my answer. And what happened was, so Yonah went and he was sitting on this hill, and he built himself this sukkah, this like little hut. And in this hut, it was very hot, and the sun, you know, penetrated it, penetrated into the walls. He even had to crawl over to the side, and the sun still penetrated. Now remember, he has, from the erosion of his skin and, and from the fish, he, you know, every little of the heat was, was burning it, was, was burning him. It was, it was an excruciating pain. So, he was like, he was actually actually going in and out of consciousness. And then suddenly a miracle happened. This kikayon came up, this is like this plant, or this tree, all of a sudden like miraculously sprouted. Think of it as like Jack and the Beanstalk. Like all of a sudden, it's just like you know, like a, a like a plant spouts. You're talking about like leaves of four feet wide, and just covered his entire hut. And all of a sudden, it was shade. It was cool. Even more so, the plant was actually like leaking, like like uh, plant juice, whatever you want to call those things, the sap. And it was landing on his on his on his blisters and boils and everything that he had in his in his skin. And it was actually healing it. It was like a healing. Think of it maybe like an aloe vera type of uh, sensation. So. He was, you know, extremely started feeling healthy. He started, you know, this everything was was uh, was working out. The next, uh, he went to sleep that night. Every, the day was fine. He had the shade. The night was fine. He had shade. The next morning, the there was a worm that came and ate the root of this tree, and the tree fell down and and, and it collapsed. So this now left Yonah exposed so again. That's the the you know the heat with the you know going back to his uh, fainting spells. So he again cries out. He says, "God, I bet you got." He wants to finish his life. He doesn't want it anymore. So, Yashad tells him, he says, why do you want to end your life? Like, why do you want to finish it off already? So, Yonah answers, says, you've taken my tree from me. So, Hashem answers, so you want to die because you don't have any more shade? So, he says, he says, that's what the, you know, is that what's worth in your life, just a, just a shade? Then Hashem answered, then Hashem answered, he says, did, did you uh, plant this, this tree? And he said, no. Says, did you cause it to grow at all? He says, no. Did you fertilize it? No. Did you do anything for this tree? And he said, no. So God says, how long does this tree last? He says, a day and a night. So, so Hashem says to them, this is your lesson. He says, over here, you have here a tree, which you did absolutely nothing for it. And you only, it lived for one day. He says, and it's already causing you so much grief that it's not existing anymore. He says, imagine what it caused me for this great city of Nineveh. There's so much, this is the biggest city. There's so many people over here. There's so much going on. My, I had so much effort that goes into the city. He says, don't you think I'll be grieved over if this city gets destroyed? He says, and first, furthermore, you have so many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that just trade with the city that are going to be affected. What about all the children and the women and the, you know, that are, that are, think of it as a Tinok They're not in the category. They never got the Torah. They never got the, you know, the, the, what they're supposed to do proper. So, Hashem says, Nimveh deserves to be spared even though their repentance is flawed. So, Yonah, Yonah prayed back to God. He says, just like you had compassion and mercy for the people of Nimveh, please also have compassion and mercy for the Jewish people, even if you find them unworthy. The So, this, you know, a- after... Um, what happened was I want to I want to just like this is the this is what happened this is how the Yonah ends. But I want to give uh, you know a little bit more information on what happens actually to Ninveh, and then I want to go through lessons that we learn uh, from from Yonah. So 
we have to learn about the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, uh, which, which is the one that took over the, you know, the Ten Lost Tribes, they're the ones who are responsible for the Ten Lost Tribes. So this is the same nation that was, that was saved, was Nineveh, was the same from the Assyrian Empire, was later going to be uh, taking all the Jews out of, uh, you know, well, exile the Jewish people, and then they were going to be destroyed. So what happened was, as we said earlier in the first part of this uh, series, was that the kingdom of, of El Yisrael was divided. You had the kingdom of Yisrael, which was in the north. This was the ten tribes. And then you had the kingdom of Judah, which is in the south, which is the other two tribes. Then, so Sancherev, which was the king at that point in time of of Assyria, which was, I guess you call it, well, you know, Nineveh, the, um, went and he captured the the ten tribes. And we know that he spread them out throughout the entire, you know, place that he had uh, captured already. And he had his eye set on Yerushalayim. He wanted to capture, after he captured the ten tribes, he wanted to go and capture the um, the remaining two and get Yerushalayim and as well as the Beth HaMikdash and whatever um, else was over there. So, when when the Assyrian Empire, when the Assyrian army actually went and traveled to Yerushalayim, they, miraculously, it, would, it was a ten day journey. But they made it in one day. He saw that this is like an omen that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, destroy, I'm gonna annihilate this thing with ease, uh, Yerushalayim. However, the second that, that he got to, the, when he got into the, to the Yerushalayim, he got word out that, you know, Ethiopia was rebelling against his rule. He ruled about, he was capturing a lot. And Ethiopia rebelled against his rule, so he had to return to Ethiopia to sort of, uh, you know, take care of the rebellion. And as, after he went and he took care of the rebellion, he returned to Yerushalayim. Now, he had an astrologer that told him, he said, listen, he says, you're here today in Yerushalayim. The second, the day that he got back to Yerushalayim after going to Ethiopia, he said, right now is when you have a chance that you have the ability to go and capture Yerushalayim, which means the time is ripe only now. If you wait till tomorrow, it's not going to be ripe anymore. So Sancherev, you know, these people that, uh, um, you know, Alexander, you know, all these like very, very powerful warriors, they, uh, they consider themselves or, some of them consider themselves like godlike, you know, like the power. He's like, are you serious? He's like, he's like, I only need to do it today and not tomorrow. He's like, I have so much power. Just look at the vast, sheer numbers that I have over here in the army. He says, I'm not worried about, you know, we could do it tomorrow, we could rest and we'll take care of it. So he says, listen, he says, the astrologers, I just want to see in the stars, this is what, this is when it's going to, when you have the ability to go and, and, uh, and, and annihilate the, the Jewish nation. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to. He didn't listen. He says, today we rest. And tomorrow we conquer. And he said also, he sends one of his soldiers, go tell the Jews, they have the last chance to surrender peacefully is today, otherwise tomorrow they're getting, uh, um, you know, destroyed. That night was Pesach, was the first night of Pesach, which is known as Lel Shemurim. It's a night of uh, protection for the Jewish people. The During that night, Angel uh, Gabriel, Gabriel went, and he destroyed the entire, the entire Syrian empire was surrounded, the, the, the you know, Yerushalayim and the, that part of the, the country that the two tribes were still, uh, in, you know, had control over, annihilated them, killed all of them. We'll see, there was a few survivors, but killed all of them. And the next morning, when, when everybody woke up, and, you know, the people from the Yerushalayim went to look out, they see, like, everyone's sleeping in late, sort of. You know, like, they, they weren't even sure what was going on until they saw, like, after a while, no one's moving. They realized that, uh, that the, the angel, just, well, they didn't, you know, have to know if it was an angel it was, but they saw that everybody just died. It was some sort of plague, and they all died. So, the, and, and it's interesting because the night before it was really the last time that he would be able to conquer it. Because it was, they were, they were sort of still doing, there was still a sin that was hanging over the, this na- the Jewish nation, which was the destruction of the city of Kwanim years ago. So, but after Pesach, first night of Pesach, this, whatever, it cleans the, the sin, and then they had the protection again. So, he waited, he misses his window of opportunity, and they all got, um, a murder died. And so who survived? Sancheriv, the, the, you know, the king survived. His two sons, uh, Nuvuzadan and Nuvuchanetza also survived and a few others. So they, you didn't, there were, you know, there were a few handful of people, they're not going to go and fight, so they had to make the way back to, uh, Ninveh, to, uh, to, uh, to Assyria. So, to Ashur. So, um, the, the, it also says, the Midrash says, why did, why did Hashem make Sancheriv survive? Let him go and let him die with everybody else. And the answer is, is because uh, Hashem wanted him to see the downfall of everything, of his entire empire, you know, like, or, you know, or we'll soon see how far he's going to get and how his downfall was. So, he's like, you know, dazed and confused, this, this, uh, you know, Sanchev. He's walking back, not sure what happened, how the, everybody just died. And as he's going, it, you know, to there, he feels like a, you know, a little bit of a daze, a haze, and he feels like he had, he sees like an, all of a sudden an old man sitting in front of him. And the old man tells him, he says, uh, you know, what you going? What you doing? And he says, I'm going uh, back to Ninveh. So he says, the old man, what are you going to tell all your friends and your family? So Sanchev says, you know, I, I don't know. 
he says, uh, so the old man says, you know, they're going to be furious with you. I mean, you're the king. Like, what did you do? How did you lose an entire army in one night? And he says, to be honest, I don't know what to do. I, I really don't. So the old man says, I have an, you know, an, an idea for you. Go in disguise. He says, take off your beard, take off your hair, get into peasant clothing. This way you won't have to deal with all that. Just go in there and then whatever, figure it out later. So he liked that idea. So he went and he took a haircut. He took a haircut um, and he built a fire to to cut off all, you know, to burn all the hair that he had. And the as as he you know built a fire, the old man sort of like blew it and it went into his beard. His beard he didn't really cut so much, and it just started singeing his beard until he took it out. And you know, it looked like one of those. He really looked like a peasant and a homeless man. So. He takes peasant clothing, he takes his, you know, his beard, whatever it is that he had left, the remaining of his hair, and he makes his way back to Ninveh. As he goes back, he makes a declaration, he says that, you know, as a thanks for his god, which is God's, uh, you know, his, his idol worship, he said when he get back to Ninveh, he's gonna sacrifice his two sons to the gods that protected him. So, uh, you know, and, and, you know, apparently this, the word got out that this is what he was going to do when he got back. And his two sons heard about this, and they were like, "We're not interested in getting sacrificed, you know, for him." So they real they they realized that they were going to wait for him, and it, they figured out that he's going to go straight to the temple where he always uh, prays and worships. So they waited behind the curtains in the temple that he usually worships. And as he goes, and as he came in to bow down to his idols, the two sons came out from behind the curtains and stuck their spears into him and killed him on the spot. His blood like flew into the you know into the same idol that he thought was uh, was saving him. So. Now, uh, this was the collapse of the Syria, this was the beginning of the collapse of the Syrian, uh, empire. What happened was, is that it wasn't too long after that, that the, the people of Ninveh reverted back to their old decrees, uh, the old ways, and they went and they started doing, you know, stealing again, and immorality, and idolatry, and all those things, and killing. So, uh, the, the way that God started destroying the city, they first started with a natural disaster, a hurricane, I don't know, what's the highest level? Five? Level five, whatever, like the serious, like, natural disaster started destroying the entire place. After uh, uh, the, the natural disasters, the actual final blow was the, uh, was delivered by Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon, the king of Babel. He was the rising empire, the, the new kid on the block that was taking care of everybody. So he came in, and they just like they burned the entire city to the ground, really destroyed, uh, really destroyed the city. And that was the end of Ninveh. Even though they did Chuba, the Chuba didn't actually last that long. It lasted for a um, for forty years, and then they reverted. So this is the story. The Sanchev part of the Ninveh is not part of the story. Yona, this is like a, you know, I don't know, extra credit. After the credits roll, you know, it's like a, another um, extra scene. So, yeah, so it's an extra kind of thing. But now, let, let's figure out. So this is the story that we read on Yom Kippur. Now, there are, there, are actually, there are actually so many lessons that we can learn from this story. Well, we won't have time for all of them, but at least we'll, we'll try to speak about a few. The I think one of the most important things is is that you see how, how much Yona tried to um, avoid fulfilling his mission. He tried to go into the fish, and in fact, even, you know, he died a few times. Like, when he was a kid, he died. You know, even when he was a kid, he was, like, trying to avoid his whole mission. He died when he was a kid, and then, you know, he was brought back to life by Eliyahu. But, uh, uh, you know, he ran away from God. He went into the ocean. He went, and he thought that wasn't all. He went into, into a fish, uh, the belly of a fish. He still didn't change his mind. God had to spin him out to another fish. And then he went from place, until finally he was going to do, he went and he, and he returned to God. He did Chuba, and he did the mission that, that God told him that he was supposed to do. Which we see over here that at the end, the mission that God wants you to accomplish, you will accomplish. There's like two ways to do it. There's the easy way or the hard way. Okay, you could be sitting in a nice good fish, you know, the VIP section. You can have man on the side. You can have a nice light. You can see outside. You can do it that way. Or you can do it in very cramped, heated, disturbingly burning your skin type of uh, situation fish. It will happen at the end of the day. You have to, the you know, and this is why we read it. Like, you know, people realize the bad things that they have to do. People realize that, uh, you know, we have to go and return to God. And this is everybody has. So we all have things that we need to work on. We all have things that we need to, to become better in. Whether it's ben Adam lechaveo, between, between man and man, or between us and God. We have to, um, we, we have to go and we have to figure it out. You, we can't, and the problem is, is you don't want to wait till God starts sending you signs. Like, this is the one thing that you don't want. Like, God, I get the point. Don't send me any signs. Just the good ones. You know, I don't need the bad ones. I want to do chuvah. And the problem is that, that's, that's one scenario. The, pr- the problem that's a really big problem that I feel is where people constantly get signs. 
God is constantly sending them, do repent, you know, change your ways. How many people need to die? How many pe- much money do you have to lose? How much sickness do I have to give you until you're going to wake up? And it goes again and again and again and again. And people, it's just like they're deflecting the chuba. They're like, no, absolutely, I'm not going to do it. And what are you holding yourself back for? It's going to happen at the end of the day. Why are you fighting it? The, uh, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous to, to, to think like that. It's like somebody who, let's say, needs to go, Scared of needles, like like crazy scared of needles. I'm not. T- I'm talking about like like little kids scared of, of needles. You know, when I have to take my kids to the doctors, um, you know, it's it is. This is this is a whole scenario in itself. Um, but you know, like you know, they're like frightened of needles. Um, you can see like some videos how like parents actually video their kids screaming while that. It's um, it, I, it's bad to laugh, but it's really funny how crazy the kids get with a needle. All the needle is, it's a little pinch. It's just like a tiny little pinch. But imagine, you know, if the kid is there and the kid is fighting. So the, the nurse or the doctor, they can't put the needle in, or especially if they need to go to the IV or take out blood, until you sit still. So they keep on poking and poking and poking, and it, you're, you're just extending your pain. The longer that you fight, the more that you're extending it. Just sit still so we can get it and be done with it. The same way, you know, you have, and every time, you know, like when you have a, when you're, when you're get poked once for the needle, okay, it hurts, it's a little pinch, but if you've got to keep on doing it, uh, it gets worse, uh, you know, every single time. Why are we running away from, you know, people have to, God sending messages. God, throughout the day, there's always, you know, things that are happening that are messages from God. We have to wake up for these messages and have to realize, God, I get the point. God, and we see over here from the, from the chuvah, even a partial chuvah works. From Nineveh, even something, and don't think like Yonah, Yonah thought my sin is too great, there's no way, I'm never gonna be able to do Shabbat. I have people tell me this all the time. Okay, so they did serious sins, they did like, like serious stuff that, you know, that, that people tell me. And I'm like, okay, no matter how bad it is, you could still do Shabbat. Even partial Shabbat works. Look at Nineveh, they did everything, they did the, the worst of the worst. Immoral, murder, uh, stealing, you know, idolatry, and that, even a partial Shabbat for them worked. So all the more so by us, even a partial Shabbat would work. And this is one of the reasons that we read it on, um, on Yom Kippur, to show you the importance of Shabbat, to show you the, the, also the way, the how, how it works. You could save yourself from so much problems in life if you just figure it out early enough. You know, the, who's a Chacham? As a Chacham, somebody who sees the future. So if you foresee, you know, it's very easy. If you want to go into a business, for example, you don't just walk into it blind. You look how other people failed, how other people succeeded, and then you build off that instead of do, making all the own errors yourself. The same thing when you see people that are, you know, doing, you know, did, did many sins in their life, and then they had bad things happen to them. You should wake up, and you should do, you should do Shabbat. This is a, if you guys remember, not too long ago, had a very close friend of mine, Rabbi Yaron Ruven. You know, remember his, his life story? The, you know, he went through terrible suffering. Seven years of terrible suffering. Listen to his life story. If you don't hear his life story, you have to listen to his life story. Because, you know, the, his life story, you could learn so much from it. Had everything, unfortunately, went through very, very terrible suffering. Like, why wait till to, to you get to suffering? See, some people will have suffering, some people you won't have, you, won't, you know, not, not so much. But at the end of the day, Things are supposed to happen. Just like it happened for, by Ninveh, it's going to happen in every single one of our lives. Uh, the Vilna Goyen, there, there are many Mephashim say that the story of, of Ninveh is a, is a, is a parable to our lives. This is what it's going to happen, you know, per se, in our lives. So we don't want to go, and we don't want to wait for God's, you know, signs. We want to listen the first time. We want to be able to go and say, listen, I get the point. Don't send me any sign. No need for going inside a fish. No need for the storm. I'm going to do what I need to do. And that is the purpose of this. We need to go and really need to really, really uh, put this into consideration. When you go, and, and unfortunately we don't have time to actually go through the whole uh, thing of Chuba, but maybe I should touch on it very briefly because it can't hurt to review these things. Uh, you know, when you do Chuba, the, and again, even partial Chuba works. Like even if you just regret it, you should, you know, even the, the regretting part is also, you have, to have, you have to regret the sin that you did. Why is the regret so important? Because if you regret it, it's very unlikely that you're gonna happen, it's going to happen again. The main point of Chuba, the main point of Chuba is not to do it anymore. That is the, that is the, that is the goal. Not to do the sin anymore. So if you regret something, you're not going to be like, all right, listen, you know, remember that time we did this sin? You're like, oh, awesome. You, then you want to do it again. If it's, if you're, if you're talking on how awesome it was, you're not regretting it. You're going to end up doing it again. And hence the chuba is not complete. So that is a very important aspect of it. Another thing is very important is confession. Confession is you have to actually confess to God. This actually has to be verbal. You, have to, you don't, don't announce it to every, you don't have to go to rabbi. Hey rabbi, you know, I sinned. You know, and the rabbi opens up the curtain and be like, uh, you know, what did you sin, my son? 
I'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. What was that? Immorality, adultery, murder, 50 Hail Marys, uh, and come to church on Sunday. Oh, okay. Uh, wrong synagogue. But I'm saying that, uh, you know, like it's, it's confess only to God. If you have a question how you want to do full chuba in a specific sin, then okay, go speak to a rabbi in a personal thing. You don't have to announce it. I was once in a class, at, and I was giving the class, and somebody went and announced, you know, he's like, what, how do I do chuba for this sin? If I were, it's the worst, if you think about, I don't want to go into it because I would try to be clean. The worst sin that you could think about, that's what he did. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I didn't say that. I'm like, you know, there's a place and time for it. You know, it's not supposed to, you know, be announced for everybody. But, um... It's, it's, uh, but you can see the sincerity of the guy. He really wanted to do chuvah in it. He was willing, like, you know, it didn't bother him that everybody else, you know, knew about it. She also tells you the type of crowd I was dealing with. Um, but... He, what? No, he wasn't proud of it. Because I spoke to him afterwards and he was like, he's like, I can't believe it. I don't know why I did it. I was so stupid. Every sin, that's the way it usually happens. I can't believe... You never feel good after a sin. You might say, be like, oh yeah, it was awesome, that was good stuff, yeah, uh, you know, speak old bro and macho. Um, but you never actually feel good about it. You always feel like, oh, you know, like, what did I just do? Like, oh, come on. You know, I could, you know, so much better I could have done. So, uh, not a better sin. I mean, I could have done so much. Alright, I think we understand. Um, the, but the idea that, you know, that, the idea is that, is that if you do need to speak to somebody, speak to them in a private, you know, private, uh, thing, what your situation is, and, you know, the, the rabbi could also direct you on, on the proper way of chuba. The next part after, so you have to, you have regret, you have confession, and you can, you, the, the third part is not doing it anymore. You, you have to stop, refrain from doing that sin anymore. Now, there are certain people that say, listen, I'm not going to be, I know I'm gonna fall into again, so what's the point of doing chuba? Still do chuba. Do chuba, at least you get it until whatever point that you're gonna to get to. I mean, don't think about it, okay, listen, I'm booking, you know, my vacation. I know it's gonna happen over there. Don't be a fool like that. But, if in your mind you're actually really sincere, you really think, like, I'm really gonna try it. And if, God forbid, you fall again, you'll deal that with that when it comes. But right now, do complete chuba. You have, we have a few more days until Yom Kippur. We have to really focus on these parts. This is our thing. And it's, don't just like walk into, you know, Yom Kippur and be like, alright, listen, we'll just follow with whatever the Chazan is saying. Think about at least something that you're changing in your life. Uh, something that at least you're doing chuba on it. Uh, if you want, there are certain people that write little notes for them. You can write little notes for yourself in code. You know, then you have like, and then you start doing like, you know, one equals A, two B, and then you have like a cheat sheet over here, you'll be like, okay, wait one second over here. You're gonna start throwing threads over here, or this and over here. And then make little, you know, signs for yourself, and, and these are the things that you're supposed to go and do Chuvan. And just incidentally, it's also, the more you speak about it, the more that you regret it, the better the Chuvan is. So don't, you know, there are many people, like, I did Chuvan in it. Same guy that did this said. He says, I, I did Chuvan in it. I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not, I don't know what I should tell you, but I'm like, I, but I did tell him, like, you know, this chuva is a serious thing you have to do. Just, you know, it's also important when you're doing chuva. If you're a real bal chuva, then you're listening to God on everything that He says. And it's not, you know, like for for people that are coming back from like a, from a, a secular lifestyle, it is difficult. It is difficult, but it's only in the beginning that it's difficult. Eventually, you get used to it. Eventually, you like it. And it's not that much that much that you have to do. I'm not talking about becoming the biggest rabbi in the world. I'm talking about one-on-one Judaism. You know, basic stuff. Shabbat, kosher, tefillin. You know, you learn. You, you do the basic stuff. Brachot. This doesn't take out so much of your day that you're like, okay, I'm a completely different person now. You know, I have to wear a turban. I gotta go and, you know, I you know, gotta find my magic carpet. I can't, you know, hang out with my friends anymore. It's not, I mean, it's a life-changing, but at least do the basics. The basics everybody can do. And for, for people that are already past the basics, then take upon yourself something more. I, you know, I, I think it's extremely important for people uh, that are that are becoming Baal Chuba that already, like I'm talking about, you pass the basic stuff. Like you're you're ready, you're ready past that that stage. It is extremely, extremely important that you go and you um, you learn every single day. And I, you don't have to learn a lot. It's it's difficult for you. Whatever it is that you could do, but learn something every single day. Much better open up a book if you're able to. Not everybody is book able, so that's why you have classes. You could go online, you go to Torah anytime, you go to, you know, learn Torah. There's so many other, there's so many amazing websites that you could go and listen to Shura Torah on the, uh, you know, on your phone, on your car. You could always listen to it, but it has to be a, this, this is like a must. It has to be a daily thing. If it's not a daily thing, it's a very big problem you're gonna fall down. I, I met many people and I deal with many people that I've been religious for five years, six years, seven years, even twelve, even, no, even like fourteen years I know somebody. 
the, the, their level stayed more or less the same. I mean, they, Hashem, they keep Shabbat, they keep kosher, they keep the basic stuff, they go even pray with a minyan, they do that, but they don't learn anything. They still don't know any halachot that they, that they, you know, since the day that they became religious. They just, just do everything the way it's supposed to. The point is to grow. The point is to keep on going up and going up. You take, you take a, you know, a sefal, 5, 10, 15 minutes a day. You have a few days to Yom Kippur. This should be your, your, your thing that you do. If you don't, if you haven't figured out something yet yourself, I'll give you one. Learn 15 minutes a day. Whatever it is that you learn, pick a book. If you need any recommendations, I have tons of recommendations, and I'll give you one. <laughs> and I'll give you tons. Depending on what you like, I could direct you to whatever books you like in English, in Hebrew, whatever uh, language uh, that it works for you. Russian, I don't know. I don't know uh, what, what's what's out there in Russian. But uh, you know, it's something that we're coming into Yom Kippur. This is where we're appealing our our, our you know. The verdict that happened in Rosh Hashanah. So we want to have a, you know, you know, be signed for a good year. We want to have, be signed for a successful year, a happy year, a year that we don't need God's wake up call. That we're going towards Him without Him having to come pull us towards, uh, towards Him. So this is something that we want to do for ourselves. This is something that is extremely important and this is a very big lesson that we learned from Yonah. Any questions? Yeah. Were they doing the same sin level as the times of the flood or? So yeah, it says that they were similar to that, to that, uh, so when times of the flood, they did tshuva. They, they didn't. They didn't have a chance. The reason why why Ninveh had a chance to do tshuva is because Ashu, which came from you know was the founder, he left when they when they did the tower tower of Babylon. They, he left for that, so he had a merit. He, you should know that by the way. If somebody gets to do tshuva, it's a merit. You have to have a merit. Just look at your community. That we you know that there's some people that do tshuva and some people don't. It's not because like okay you saw the light or whatever. You have a merit that you're here. Um, in my class, because no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, you have a merit to be any, in, you know, just in general. It's a very big school. There's a reason for it. I, I don't know why. I have a merit that I was born religious. I have, you know, everybody has their own merits. It doesn't. You can't take that for granted. Look at the majority of the Jewish nation. Unfortunately, is not, you know, associated. What, what you know, how many? What are we up to? 14 million Jews. How many Jews are? Merit. It's a merit to go and to, and to become, you know, religious. It's a. It's not, you know. Granted, you get reward for it. Don't get. Don't. I'm not taking that away from from anybody. But for the fact you could see, it works for you, and it doesn't work for for other people. And I've, I've, you know, I, I've been doing this for for a short while that I've met people that know so much to They really, like not because they spent their entire years learning it. Like very smart people. I had a. Um, I met with a guy. So three years ago, um, he uh, he came to my class. We had a the entire class. It was just like whatever I prepared, I'd like just put off like a whole bunch of books. We were just like proving God, similar to what we had like Friday night uh, situation. Um, but I was like, we were going very, and this guy was he was very smart, very very you know uh, well with it. I believe, um, unfortunately, he got into bad not like bad I'm um, unkosher business, legal business, but an unkosher business. Uh, and you know he was. Like, if he would become religious, it, you know, like, with his brain power, you know, he could master everything in a very short period of time. And I met with him once, tried to get him to come again. I asked his friend to bring him again. Not, nothing. Not, you know, he didn't, you know, didn't really have it. I'm like, this guy would have been so big. He could have, he could have been accomplished so much. And then, you know, I met people, like, maybe talking about also, like, four years. This guy ended up like somehow becoming like not only super religious, he learns how he knows how to read Gemara, he knows how to, you know, like he really advanced in it. So it's more to it than just by wanting it. Or there's more, there's more involved than, you know, there, there is a merit involved in it. And in a way to get this merit is actually to pray. You have to pray for this. You have to pray for the fact that you want to, you know, come closer to God. You want to, uh, you want to become great. This is not for about Shuvah. This is just in general. That you pray for God and God is going to help you. Uh, this is a, um, a very fundamental rule. Any other questions? No other questions? Everyone knows the whole Torah? Okay, I have questions for you. <laughs> okay. No questions. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.